0: Our speaker for uh, this afternoon is Wayne Jones. Uh, Wayne Jones uh, serves as the pulpit preacher for the uh, University Church of Christ out in San Marcos, Texas. And he's been doing it for 14, 15 years. Um, Beyond that and all of the credentials maybe that we would throw at him, uh, I think I heard Wayne speak for the first time at Polishing the Pulpit um, maybe seven, eight years ago. I was like, Who is this guy? Because I was blown away. I was blown away by the depth of knowledge. I was blown away at the preaching ability. And and God has truly given Wayne an ability to bring God's word. Uh, But not just that. I'm not sure there's ever been a time where I haven't walked away uh, with something that causes me to think deeply about my spirituality afterwards. Uh, When you listen to a a lesson from Wayne, uh, he pointed to the word. He points you at how to be a better Christian uh, from my perspective because he's run it through himself first. Uh, We're all going to be better for listening to Wayne and just by looking around the crowd you can see why um, his credentials are what they are. We got a lot of people who aren't youth because of who's speaking and we have an awesome topic for you uh, and that is why is the resurrection a big deal? Why is this matter at all? I uh, can't wait to hear what Wayne has to bring on this. Brother, come preach the word to us.
1: I was actually going to say that I feel like a lot of people are trying to recapture their youth for this hour. Um, but uh, let me just say this, and uh, the comments has been made, and I appreciate the introduction. I appreciate the chance to be here. I'm thankful that you're here, particularly those of you that are sitting on, on these rows and forward. Not that I'm not glad that everyone else is here, but I'm thankful for the young people that are gathered in this room that care about the Lord, that want to know more about Him, that want to serve Him faithfully. You should be commended and uh, hope that you you understand how important you are to us and how much we love you and want to help you in your walk with the Lord. But I will say this. You look around this room and um, hope that you will spend time in your formative years building relationships in Christ that will last beyond where you live and where you work. I think that's what's so special to me about this weekend is being able to see people and be and be with people and 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 talk with people and joke with people that that as was mentioned the other night we probably would have never known or 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 been a part of if not for events like this and for the blood of Christ that binds us together and so I hope that that you'll take a lesson from these uh, that have a little gray in, in their hair that are in here or, or lack thereof um, that that you you can see how valuable the friendships are that you'll make in Christ um, I did want to get your involvement a little bit as we begin today I know that it's 3 o'clock on a Saturday um, I know that that sometimes the, the lesson right after lunch is difficult, sometimes the last lesson of the day is the most difficult you've been troopers all day, you've sat through lessons You've you've stayed awake uh, I'm going to ask you for just a few more minutes okay but I want to know I want to know something outside of religious circles that you're passionate about. Particularly from our, our youth. Anybody? Something that you're passionate about? Yes ma'am. Music. Music. What type of music? Um
2: well I personally like playing music.
1: Playing music? What instrument? Or um, instruments? I
2: play ukulele and guitar.
1: Oh wow. Awesome. So so what's the big deal about music? Can you, for for maybe just a minute, explain to all of us here what is the big deal about music?
2: Well, um, personally, at least for me, I find it easy to play my emotions through music. Like okay. if you're angry, you can play a fast tune, and it kind of helps you release the stress for me. Like when I play the strings, like it kind of helps because okay. I'm getting all my anger out. Um, but it's also kind of a little comforting because a lot of the things I do are related to music. Right. Um, like I do theater, I do, I sometimes write my own songs, most of which are garbage.
1: <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> but, say that.
2: But I personally find it an easy way just to release anything bad.
1: Now, what if someone told you I, I just don't think music's a big deal? Mm-hmm. No, it's not. It's not worth anything. It's it no part in my life. Would you Would you take that as an affront, maybe? And, and set them down and maybe explain to them one-on-one what you just told us. Listen, don't discard music. Don't discredit it. It's a big deal. Would you do that?
2: I would want to see why they okay first. All
1: right, But you'd have answers, right? Anybody else passionate about anything? Yes, sir.
2: Friends and family.
1: Okay. All right. Um, why?
2: They're important because when you're a youth, it's like a big time like it's where you grow, it's, how, it's when you learn, it's um, when you have a lot of your fondest memories and your family is where you spend a lot of that time with. So it's easier to have a good childhood with a, a family.
1: Absolutely. In fact, I think we could, we brought a lot of some folks up today that would tell you that they know that, that lesson from the opposite side of that because they didn't have that family. They, they needed that. So if someone were to try to tell you, "Hey, your family's not a big deal. They're not very important. They don't mean anything," would you would you argue with them? Yeah. Would you offer those reasons? Absolutely, because it's a big deal, right? Uh, football season be a big deal to anybody. Yeah. It is me. And maybe I didn't I didn't assume that this crowd was going to be all over, but I knew there would be some in the in in the remnants that are around that would say that. Absolutely. If someone told me, "Hey, I just don't know why you watch football." Listen, we got a long conversation we can have together. We can talk for a long time. I can tell you why football is a big deal. If you can understand any of those illustrations, then you're going to understand my role here today for the next few minutes. And that is to help you understand and to impress upon your minds why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a big deal. And listen, bigger than music, bigger than football, even bigger than friends and family, is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's a powerful not There's not an aspect of our lives that is left unchanged by the resurrection. It impacts and affects everything we are, everything we claim, every action we take, every reaction we have. The resurrection changes that. It molds and shapes that. It gives it value and purpose and meaning. So I'm going to spend some time trying to convince you that it's a big deal. But I think we need to do this first. I think we need to ask the question, why do some people not think it's a big deal? I mean, I would think that most of us in this room would agree, right? You saw the title. No one's here to argue with me, I don't think, that the resurrection is not a big deal. But why is it that we don't make a bigger deal out of it than we do? I'll tell you why I think that is. and I, There could be a multiple uh, number of answers for this. And But I'll, I'll tell you, I believe our distance from and two, the resurrection makes it less important for us. And none of us have ever witnessed someone resurrected from the dead. Right? And if you have, we need to talk after this lesson's over. And I don't know what your experience was. I don't know who that was. But none of us have seen a resurrection. On top of that, none of us have seen someone buried and then dined with them a little bit later in life. But you know, if you read John 11 and John 12, You have the death of Lazarus, the resurrection of Lazarus, and a meal where Lazarus was sitting at the table talking. That's phenomenal. And so for someone in the first century who had seen resurrection, for them, absolutely, resurrection is a big deal. Any any resurrection, because they witnessed it. They saw it firsthand. But we're not there, right? You realize that resurrection, even of Lazarus, and even of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, can seem just like another Bible story to us. It's just another another page, another story, another division, another event that seems impossible to wrap our minds around and and understand completely and so it doesn't become a big deal because we're so far removed from it. But also, we sort of stand in, in middle ground because we probably believe we're a long way away from it too, don't we? And I know that you and I live with the understanding and you've been taught most of your life that any day could be your last, right? We're not promised tomorrow that one day you'll stand before the Lord in judgment, one day the Lord will return. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. People die at an early age. All of that's true. But how many of you truly believe the resurrection will be in the next 24 hours? How many of you truly believe that, that resurrection will take place, the world will end, judgment will happen before you get married, before you go to college, before you have kids, before you start your career, before you retire? Most of us don't live with that type of mindset. And so, for us, resurrection is all the way back here in the time of Jesus. And it's all the way over here when we've lived our full life and our children have lived their full life and our grandchildren have lived their full life. And one day all that's going to happen. And I think because we stand so square in the middle of those two things, it does not become a big deal to us. And you know what we do with things that aren't a big deal? We tend to overlook them, tend to forget them. Now, I'm going to give you uh, uh, an insight a little bit into into preaching, at least in in the minds of some preachers, and I've been there before. I think as preachers, we don't talk about the resurrection as much for that very same reason. We'll talk a whole lot about how we should live and what movies we should watch and how we should make friends and how we should be faithful in church attendance. And those things are all needed and necessary. But you know why we talk about those things? Because they're they're right here. They're they're right here right now, and I can see them. But you know what? Every one of those things is impacted by a, a true understanding of resurrection being a reality. And when I preach those things, and we teach those things, and you study those things without the resurrection connected to it, it loses its force and power. It becomes just another good thing to do. Another good way of living. Another positive aspect of life instead of something that has been changed by the resurrection of Jesus. And so what I want us to do and appreciate for a little while is that the resurrection is truly a big deal. And and I'll tell you, there, there are kind of two branches of this, this this thought in my mind. One is, I have a difficult task. Because if you don't understand this, if you leave here unimpressed by the resurrection, I have failed. And your faith is is in trouble. I don't mean it's gone, I don't mean you'll fall tomorrow, but if you don't really truly see the power of resurrection and the purpose of it and why Jesus is a big deal, your faith's gonna be weakened to the point of a failure at some point. So I think the task upon me is is great, and so I feel a little bit challenged in that respect. But on the other side of it, it's a pretty easy assignment. But it's probably one of the easiest assignments I've ever been given in all of my years of preaching. <laughs> is to say the resurrection is a big deal. You want to know why? Because there's a text of Scripture that that actually is a sermon outline. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There there is a a section of Scripture that's outlined for us that, that reveals to us the power... And the big what is the big deal about the resurrection? It does it from a from a negative perspective, but I think that you and I have probably read it before and I think that you probably know it. And so what we want to do is wanna work through these few verses. First Corinthians chapter five or fifteen rather and verse twelve and the reason that, that it's here and and you've if you've been here this weekend I don't know this may be your first day here maybe you haven't heard any lessons outside of this room but this entire weekend has been about the second half of 1 Corinthians Okay, and, and there were a lot of problems in the church in Corinth a lot of things they didn't understand a lot of things they misunderstood one of the more blatant uh, Statements that Paul makes about them is that some among them, verse twelve, some among them were saying there is no resurrection of the dead. Verse twelve. Now, if Christ has preached that he has been now, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And so, I've heard I've heard people preach some 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 things sometimes that are that are kind of outlandish. Now, I've attended some funerals before where the guy leading the funeral wasn't a member of the Lord's church and, and didn't have a background as, as we might have in, in the understanding of Scripture. He would say something. I actually heard a man on one occasion at the funeral say he was, he was actually performing the funeral service of his, his wife. But it was his second wife, and they were both married to other people when they met and divorced their other spouses and married each other and they've been married for 20 or so years and he actually made the statement in the funeral it's the Lord that brought us together and then he said well it was either the Lord or it was Satan one or the other but either way we had a great marriage he actually said that I've heard some pretty outlandish things in, in a group setting talking about the Bible I've never heard someone stand up and say you know what I just don't believe there's a resurrection I'm religious I'm spiritual I have beliefs I just don't believe the resurrection is real not in a sermon form. I've sat with people across the table who didn't believe it. Never heard someone stand and preach it. Propagate that through a congregation. Hold that as, as a doctrine. And yet Paul says, there are people among you. Seems that the, the idea would be some, some teacher, some influencer, someone who, who had their ear, who had a podium or a platform or a classroom who said, hey, you know that stuff about the resurrection? It's true. Not going to happen. So Paul makes this statement. If there's no general resurrection, Guess what is also not true? That Christ is raised. Now that becomes a big deal. So what Paul does in the next few verses, beginning here and going down through verse 19, is he just points out what the world would look like if Christ was not raised from the dead. So guess what? All we have to do is look at these points, and then we can know why resurrection is a big deal. I'm going to tell you what. If you read... The next few verses, and you try to imagine a world like that, it's a very bleak, dark world. So there are six things he says. Let's just look at them very quickly uh, together, and then not only will the lesson, but the afternoon uh, will be yours. Number one, if Christ is not raised from the dead, then preaching is pointless. That's verse 14. And if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is vain, and then he says your faith is vain, we'll look at that in just a moment. So, so reason number one, the resurrection is a big deal, because if there's no resurrection, if Christ isn't raised, there's no point in preaching. Now outside of this room and outside of this building, the world might say that's true, right? The world doesn't really have a, a strong opinion and, and love for preaching, you know, we want things that are a little more gimmicky, a little more showy, uh, a little more keep our attention, a lot less judgmental and a lot less do this and don't do that. But for the people gathered in this room, don't we understand how powerful preaching is? Exactly. I mean, we're, we're gathered in a building that houses a preaching school, training men to preach the gospel. Many of you come from preaching families and congregations where you support your preacher and, and you sit and listen to him. How many of you go to, to, to Bible class and worship service on a regular basis? Just raise your hand. So you know the point of preaching. Imagine imagine just eliminating the preaching from the service altogether. Imagine if you went in next Sunday and there was no more preaching. Now, I'm not saying you, you need to cheer and be happy about that, you'd get out earlier and you wouldn't fall asleep. I just mean, just imagine. If there was never another sermon preached in the church where you attend, that's what Paul's saying. Listen, if 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 there's no resurrection, there's no point in preaching. Now imagine the man saying this. The man saying this had given up everything he has and everything he was to be the preacher that he'd become. And he had put his life in danger. He, he, had, he had given up and sacrificed and, and been beaten and imprisoned and rejected. And Paul said, if there's no resurrection, if Christ is raised, I don't have to preach another sermon because sermons are pointless. Again, you know what we do with pointless things? What we should do with pointless things, we should get rid of them. Um, I don't know if you can tell by looking, I'm not the most athletic person in the world. I don't have a lot of height. I don't have a lot of size. The only size I have comes from, from you know apple pie and, 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 and creamer in my coffee and things like that. I'm not muscular. It's really been my whole life. Okay? It didn't just happen overnight. I've been made this way most of my life. And when I was in junior high and high school, I really thought I was going to play football. Man, I, I, I lifted weights probably not as much as I should have and I didn't eat like I should have but nevertheless I was going to play football when I got to my freshman year of, of high school and we did two a days in August in the, in the Mississippi heat and then I looked at the other guys on the team and they were taller and they were faster and, 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 and they already had the starting positions you know what I realized that all of my work really was it was in vain it was pointless it was, I was never going to see the field I was never going to make a tackle. I was certainly never going to be here. You know what I did? I stopped playing football. I started doing something else. There was no point. It was vain. It was empty. There was was no value in it. Friends, that's what Paul says about preaching. If there's no resurrection, what, what are we here to talk about? What are we anchoring it to? And so the resurrection is a big deal because without it, there's no real point in preaching. However, if there's a resurrection, if Christ is raised, I should be tuned in and locked in with every sermon and every Bible class that's ever preached. I shouldn't. I should never dismiss one or 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 or, or sleep through one or, or or not care about being there and 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 and, and just want to just want to hang out and, and talk. None of that should be the case. Listen, I, I understand that that young people get distracted in in sermons. We carry a little device in our pocket now that connects us to the outside world at all times. And I think, you know, used to when I was growing up, it was don't pass notes, right, and don't talk. Now it's, you will know, get off your phones. I've actually witnessed in the worship assembly a parent send a child a text about leaving the services at that moment in time to go to a movie. And I watched them both get up and walk out of the assembly, only to find out that's what the text is about. Okay, so we are distracted. Listen, if the resurrection is real... That sermon means something. It means a lot more than that movie you're going to go see, and that text you're going to send, and that conversation you're going to have. It's important. Every declaration of truth, every revealed scripture, every point of application. I don't care if the guy's kind of boring in his delivery. Have we ever had that? I've been that. No, I had not just had it. I've been that. <laughs> Monotone in the way that he talked, a little disconnected in his illustrations. Guess what? If he's handling the Word of God and preaching it, that's valuable and purposeful because there was a resurrection. Resurrection of Jesus. Second thing Paul says in our text, not only if there's no resurrection, there's no point in preaching. If there's no resurrection, there's no power in faith. There's no power in faith. Now that may seem like an elementary thought and and something that maybe isn't a big deal. Do you know how how what links the Bible writers go do go to, to prove to us the power of faith? You know, they'll make a statement something like this: you can have faith that will move what? Mountains. That seems like this abstract thought that's way out there, that it's this almost exaggerated concept. And then you start reading about what faith did for people. About how faith motivated the building of arcs or an ark. Of the journeying of land to land, you didn't know. Just read Hebrews eleven. All the things that faith did, and faith accomplished, and faith believed, and faith acted on, over and over and over again. And then, if you get to the end of all of that, because faith did motivate those men to do that. They believed in something they had not yet seen. They were motivated to do something by, by evidence that that, that, was, that was that was trustworthy, but not verified yet. There had been no resurrection. Imagine all of the the exploits of of, of Daniel and David and, and Noah only to get to the grave of Jesus and it remained full. The stone never rolls away. You know what that does to the faith of Noah, to the faith of Abraham, to the faith of Moses? It robs it of its power. But if there is a resurrection, those things that you hope in, that you sing about, that you pray for, that you bank on, you know how sure they are? They're as sure as the room you're sitting in. And the chair you're sitting on, the person you're sitting beside, and the voice you're hearing preaching to you, they're as sure and as real as that if there's a resurrection. Faith doesn't just have some power. It has amazing, life-changing power if there is a resurrection. Now, I think we need to make the statement because I don't I don't know that we can talk to young people about their place in the church and their value without pointing out the fact that we lose our young people at a rate these days that is staggering and sad and and tragic sometimes in a, in a setting like this I, I will point out that statistics show that by the time all of you reach 18 or 21, that half of you will not be faithful to the Lord. Now, I don't know if that's true for an assembly like this because you're choosing to be here and build your faith. But the youth groups you're a part of. Listen, I was a part of a youth group when my dad was preaching in in North Mississippi that was about, I don't know, from the time I was a a, a freshman to a a senior in high school, probably total about 12 kids. They were not all there at the same time, but total 12. Me and my sister and about 10 of the kids off and on. Besides me and my sister, there's one It's faithful to the Lord. Now, he's a gospel preacher. He's converted his younger brother and his parents and his grandmother and his aunts. It's a great success story. He is my best friend. But one. And he wasn't raised in a Christian home. Those that were that were part of that youth group are now all gone. It sometimes we, we try to trace the reasons for that don't we try to try to figure out what is it that that causes us to lose our young people and i would not ever assume to stand before you to have that answer okay i'm not that guy and i don't think that i have it all but i know this we we present jesus as lord and sovereign which means he's rule maker and lawmaker in our lives right we will do what he says he directs our paths if we don't we will stand in judgment for that absolutely we, we speak of Him as a Lamb who, who has died to save us from our sins, we don't talk a lot about the fact that He is a victor over the grave and He is a reigning Savior and Lord. Now He's alive. And if I don't see Jesus as a living, reigning King, then what I will see Him as is someone who made a great sacrifice and left me a lot of rules. Sure. And beyond that, Beyond that, I might even begin to be bitter about why He said do it this way and why didn't He consider me more. And see how disney is. You know what happens with the resurrection? It doesn't make Jesus a Lamb of the past. It makes Him a reigning sovereign of today. He's a part of my life. He's active for me. And it empowers my faith. But without the resurrection, faith has no power at all. Number three, we've got to move a little more quickly. Without the resurrection of Jesus... The apostles are all liars. The apostles are all liars. Continue reading in our text. He says, And if Christ has not been raised and our preaching is vain, your faith is also vain. Moreover, we are found in Him to be false witnesses of God. That is, we found to be liars. Because we testified against God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. It isn't just that preaching is not pointless. It's actually that preaching is deceptive. The apostles and prophets are liars. Their message is made up. Now, what's interesting, we didn't do this to start the lesson, but the first 11 verses are obviously part of the same context. He reveals in the first few verses that that, that, that the message of the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And then he begins to go through this, this list of, of, of um, proofs. Verses 5 through 8 how that when Christ was risen from the dead, He appeared to, to Peter and the twelve, and He appeared to 500 at once, He appeared to James, He appeared to the apostles, and last of all, to Paul, because He was one born out of, out of season. Now, that list is important. Okay, it's important. There's a statement that I, that I skimmed over, didn't read, that's also important. Of those 500 He appeared to in verse, five, verse 6, it says, Most of them remain until now. You ever wonder why Paul said that about those 500? Listen, Jesus was raised from the dead, and I can prove it because he appeared to, to Peter and the other apostles, and he appeared to James, and he appeared to me, and he appeared to 500. You know, Paul didn't write this 200 years after these events and just have them trust whether or not it was true. Notice what Paul said. Some of those that he appeared to, in fact, most of them, that 500, what are they still? They're still alive. Guess what someone who read this letter could have done? They could have found one of those 500 people and said, hey, did you actually see a risen Christ? Did you talk to Jesus after his death? And verified the resurrection? Listen, Paul wasn't asking him to believe something simply because he wrote it. Listen, I I get it. I'm at a disadvantage from Paul. I'm asking you to believe it. I haven't seen it. You and I are in the same boat. Paul said, Listen, you can believe Jesus raised from the dead because I know 500 people who still are alive who saw him living. I'm one of them. You can go verify. Guess what would have happened had they gone to verify and found out that Paul was a liar? You'd never be reading the book of 1 Corinthians today. You'd never have it in your possession. Because the world would have said, That's a phony. That's a fraud. Paul's a liar. And so if we come on the back end of that and we negate the resurrection, it doesn't become a big deal. We actually do what they could have done to Paul's writings even today. We make them powerless and frauds because Paul would be a liar to say that he is risen when he is not. Resurrection is a big deal because without it, the apostles and the prophets become liars. Number four, if Jesus is not raised, and this is is sort of that, that middle point of them all, and I think is, is the key to everything. If Christ is not raised, then you are still in your sins. Daniel Mayfield did a, a, a fabulous job today of walking us through First Corinthians or Romans 1.16, the power of God of salvation, and painting the picture of a world in sin needing hope. But I don't think that I have to impress upon you the the, the tragedy. And, and, and destruction that sin brings in the world. Do I? Do you need me to verify that to you? You live in this world, right? You, you see the fighting and, and the anger and the aggression. You, you witness the immorality. Your, your parents, hopefully, and grandparents and preachers and elders try to guard you and shield you from that, but you know you live in a world that's full of iniquity. And by the way, it's full of iniquity with no remedy. You if, if, if not for Christ, if not for the plan of salvation, if not for the for the for the scheme of redemption, you and I would stand today just rehearsing all the bad things in life. We could pat each other on the back and let each other cry on each other's shoulder and and, and feel bad about it, but in reality, there's nothing we can do about it. But God provided a way, right? Provided a way in Christ. And that way, that way was was illustrated at the cross, but verified in the resurrection. So, if there is no resurrection, guess what it does to the to the to the sacrifice of the cross. If there's no resurrection, what does the cross mean?
0: Nothing.
1: Absolutely nothing. Without the resurrection, Jesus is just another crucified man in a time where crucifixion was capital punishment. He, he he stands no different than the thief to his left or the thief to his right. He's dead and buried just like they are, and then they have no more forgiveness of our sins. You know, you can take a lot of things from me, and I might fight you over some of them, and I might bargain to get some of them back. But you take away my forgiveness. And I'm not sure there's a point to any of it. That's why the resurrection is a big deal. You don't have forgiveness without resurrection. I know we don't say it that way. We generally say this: you don't have res- you don't have forgiveness without the blood. You don't have forgiveness without the cross. You don't have forgiveness without the sacrifice, friends. You can't. You have to add the resurrection to that list. There's no forgiveness without it. And so every time you pray to God and ask for your sins to be forgiven because you did something wrong that day, that prayer is rooted in resurrection. It's founded in an empty tomb, a grave that was left, and a Savior that ascended back to the right hand of God. sits at His at His right hand and, and and argues for us as our advocate today, our intercessor, that we might be forgiven. Resurrection is a big deal. You know, if you took away my opportunity for worship or for fellowship in this life, I'd be pretty sad. But if I knew I could still have it in the next, I'd probably be all right. I could make it through with just that faint glimmer of hope that one day I could have it there. But you take away forgiveness and you don't have that. Then all we're left with is what we have here. And nothing more, nothing greater, nothing eternal and nothing lasting. If Jesus is not raised, there is no forgiveness. And therefore, resurrection is a big deal. Number five. If Jesus is not raised... The dead cease to exist. Verse number nineteen. That's that's Paul's argument. Verse eighteen. For then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, meaning they have no hope of resurrection. Anybody lost someone important to them? I have. Some of those that I've lost were not in Christ. It's a a guilt and a burden that you'll carry through your life that that hopefully in the next life, God will be able to correct in your heart so that you're not sad about it. At least for me, I feel that way. I've got some folks that left this life faithful to the Lord. And the greatest comfort I have in their passing is to know that they still live and that I'll see them again. I, I could run through a list of names for you. You wouldn't know them. You could run through a list of names for me and I wouldn't know them, but to you they're special. To you they're important. They matter. And if you take the resurrection away, what you got while they were here is all you're ever going to get. Because that's not the message of scripture. Even the Old Testament, before the, the idea of resurrection was ever really fully fleshed out in the minds of people, David knew, right, when his son died. I'm going to be where he's at. I can see him again. Because death is not the end. But you take resurrection away. You take the resurrection of Christ away. And this is all there is. There, there's nothing more. There's nothing greater. There's nothing beyond. And so it leads us really to this last one. And that's number six. That if Christ is not raised, we are to be a pitied people. Tell you, ends the section. If we have hope in Christ in this life only, meaning if we have no resurrection, if he isn't raised, and then we are of all men most pitied. I ask them: Have you ever, have you ever known someone who just was a little different from everybody else? They dressed different. They, maybe they talked different. And they were made fun of by people that, that you went to school with, or maybe went to camp with, or maybe was in the youth group with. Do you feel sorry for that person? maybe you didn't have the strength, this is another lesson for another time, maybe you didn't have the strength to stand up to the others, you should have, and we all should have right, and, and, and stood up for them but let's just take that, that feeling for a moment we pitied them we felt bad, we wished things could have been different, didn't feel like we could change it we just wished maybe things were different for them but we pitied them, we, we maybe even even tried to console them because we just hated their life was so bad Paul said if there's no resurrection, that's what the world should do for us. You know why? Because if there's no resurrection, you and I have been duped. We've been conned or swindled into believing something that's not true, into sacrificing, giving our lives for it. Your time spent here on Saturday? Shame on you for believing it meant anything. You could have slept in. You could have went for a hike, or played video games, or 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 played an instrument, or listened to music, watch football. Saturday, it's football season, right? I feel so bad for you. You you thought this mattered. You thought it was important. Take the resurrection away, and that's what the world sees in us. Do you know the world already looks at us like that sometimes? If you ever listen to, to, to a, a conversation, debate between an atheist and a Christian or an atheist and a believer, the atheist will say something like this. Well, if you need God as your crutch, you go ahead and have it. I don't need Him as my crutch. I, I pity you that you need that. If you, if you want to have it, go ahead, but I know better. Because if there's no resurrection, that statement, that comment, it's got legs. It's got something to stand on. Because the reality is this, without the resurrection... We have done a whole lot of stuff for a whole lot of nothing. And none of it matters. I want you to think with me for a moment about that that kind of life. A life where there is no preaching. Where faith is weak. A life where there's no hope for tomorrow where the dead are just dead. And that someone has to come and console us because we just believed a lie. I believe there was a three day span of time when a good portion of Christ's followers lived with that dejection and despair, and maybe even grew into bitterness and, and anger and frustration. It was a time from Thursday night to Friday into Sunday. Do you know what changed it? Resurrection. Weak faith was turned into strong faith. Pity was turned into envy. Powerless faith was turned into faith that literally couldn't move mountains. Change the world. Convert the lost. Secure our footing. In closing, I want to add one more list one more thing to the list that's not in Paul's and then the less will be yours you could count it as number seven if, as we've said a few times this weekend if you have to have points and want to write them down what you could do is just look at this as a sort of a collection of all of them see we won't turn to read it just, just for time, like Revelation 21 speaks a, of a time when God will make all things new and in that description, He'll take away pain and sorrow and separation. He'll heal the, the broken heart the leaves of, uh, of of the tree of life will be the healing of the nations and, and there'll be a place of, of no darkness and no separation and no sorrow and no pain and no death. And whether depending on what your view of the end of Revelation is about, a lot of folks believe that's a picture of eternity. And what it looks like when Jesus comes back and and, and, and defeats death and ultimately sin is put to rest And you realize that that life being described in those two chapters is resurrected life that's what it's describing it's describing a time when God takes that which is dead and makes it alive again restores that which has been cursed and makes it thrive again when, when it renews it and restores all things and you know the Bible speaks of every Christian raised in Christ as already being a new creature of already possessing the qualities that make for restoration, that make for for rejuvenation, that restore things, that bring things back to the way God wanted them, they bring me back to a relationship I had listen, resurrection is not just about the future, if you're a Christian resurrection matters now, it changes you now you get to live out what heaven's going to look like, imagine that young people I don't know what you're going to be when you grow up. I don't know if if you're going to own companies and fly airplanes and and change the world and fight in battles and invent new things. I don't know if you're going to preach or teach or be an elder in the Lord's church. I don't know if, if, if you're just simply going to be a good father, a good husband, a good mother. I don't know. The truth of the matter is, it doesn't matter what you're going to be. What it matters is what you are now. You are victorious in Christ as a Christian, and resurrection is real today. And I'm convinced that makes the resurrection a big deal. We bow in your prayer, Father. We thank you for giving us the power of Christ and raising our. Spirits out of the waters of baptism and giving us a new path and a new life to walk in. Father, we thank you for the promise of resurrection in the future and the reality of this day. We pray that we live up the expectation that comes with being a risen people. In Jesus' name, amen.